Welcome to the Church 214 podcast. We're glad that you've joined us today. We hope that you enjoy today's message. And if you'd like to find out more about our church, please visit our website at church214.org. All right, go ahead and come on back and kind of start having your seats. I'll give you another 30 seconds to finish up your conversations. Apparently when I wave at Daryl, that means stop playing the music, and so that's good to know (laughs) for next time. (laughs) I didn't mean to cut off any conversations, but hey, uh, happy Super Bowl Sunday, first of all. Happy Groundhog Day, second of all. Third of all, happy National Tater Tot Day to all you potato potato lovers. (laughs) Potato fan, tater tot fan, not me. They're disgusting. (laughs) They are the worst form of potato that you can have. Oh, come on. Thank you, Blake. Tater's going to tate. That's what I say. Hater's going to hate. Let me pray for us before we jump in anything. Jesus, we need you, and it is uh, just impossible for me to look in the mirror without being reminded of my daily need for your grace, and that should be true of each one of us in this room. Uh, We need grace abundantly, and you supply it abundantly, and I'm grateful for that, God. Uh, I ask this morning that you would use me, a broken vessel, to clearly communicate what you would have me communicate today. Um, I know the man on this stage, and without your spirit in me, I don't have the ability or the authority uh, to do what I desire, and that is to clearly share your word. Uh, So I pray for each heart in this room this morning, that each heart would be changed because of uh, what you are going to do. So bring our hearts close to you today, God. Bring our hearts near to you. Uh, We pray this in the strong name of Jesus. Amen. So I am uh, honored to be kicking us off in a series called Mosaic. This is our first of a couple weeks, and uh, I should ask, does everyone know what a mosaic is? It's not like a super common term. If you look at the the graphic, it kind of gives it away, but um, a mosaic is just a bunch of small pieces that when put together, they make a big picture. Um, And I have a couple pictures up here, just to kind of give you a better idea. Uh, That one is of a dolphin. You can see, obviously, they can be pieces of glass or clay or tile or anything like that. And uh, there's a couple more pictures. They don't necessarily need to be squares. There's a picture of like a sunflower that creates a mosaic, so just a bunch of little pieces. They don't even need to be glass or tile. They can be um, pieces of toast. And so there's a, there's a toaster that is completely made of pieces of toast, which is insane. But um, that, that's what a mosaic is. And uh, when I hear the word mosaic, I think of an old toy I used to have. There's a toy called Magic Mosaic. Did anyone have this toy, Magic Mosaic? Kip? Yeah. Um, there's a picture of it too. Maybe that'll jog your memory. Um, but when I was real young, I remember playing with it but I had no idea what to do with it because I was eight. And so I, what I would do is actually just like 
get all the pieces and I would put them in a box or whatever and I would pretend they're jewels or gems. And that's how I played with it. Uh, the bad guys would come along and steal all the, the jewels and I would have to get them back. Um, and that's how I played with Magic Mosaic. It was a complicated and confusing game for me as an eight-year-old. Um, and it, I didn't play with it right. Um, I think I would enjoy it now though. So <laughs> anyone who gives the traditional Groundhog Day gifts, I'm, that's what I want. Um, but I didn't play with it right, and it's funny because now I look at Jet, my little three-year-old, and I see him playing with toys, and I'm like, you're not doing that right. That's, not, that's how, not how you play. We will be playing, like he just learned to play Old Maid, and all he wants to do is get the Old Maid. And I'm like, Jet, that's not the point. That's actually the opposite of the point of this game. You are trying to trick me, basically, into getting the Old Maid. Or we'll be playing with cars on the ground, like racing cars. That's all he wants to do. Um, <coughs> we'll be racing cars, and then all of a sudden his car can fly. And I'm like, Jet, cars can't fly. That's not how you do this. And then, yeah, his name is Jet, so we, that was a horrible decision to name our son Jet. Uh, yeah. Um, so he, he makes the cars fly, and I get upset, and I throw the cars down, and I quit playing with him because he's cheating. That's not fair. Uh, and I know how to play with toys. I've been playing with toys for a long, long time. Um, yes, thank you. But I don't know how to play with Magic Mosaic. And so, um, anyway, that is what I think of when I hear Mosaic. And this series, Mosaic, is this concept that every single human being is made in the image of God. And together we create this amazing mosaic that brings the face of Jesus to light. And we want to help you during this series see the face of Jesus from every angle. We want to help you see Jesus from every angle. And uh, here's the thing. I think our faith is kind of like a mosaic in that um, if you look at a mosaic too closely, too zoomed in, you can't see the whole picture. And all you see is one odd shape or a little piece here, a little piece there. Um, but it doesn't really look like anything. It's confusing and it's complicated. But when you zoom out and you look at the big picture, then it suddenly becomes something beautiful. And I think our faith is a big picture thing. It calls us to big picture living. Because trusting Jesus, it forces you to think about things that happened thousands and thousands of years in the past. And then it also forces you to think about things that will happen thousands and thousands of years into the future and even into eternity. And that's a big picture kind of thought process that can be hard and that can be confusing. And if we're too zoomed in to one event or one season or even our own little life, then things can get confusing and they can get mixed up. Um, and we'll miss the big picture that God is calling us to. Um, so real quick, I want to play a little game. I got a couple pictures on the screen that are zoomed in, and I want you all to yell out what these are. What's that? Strawberry. That's right. Good job. <laughs> that was good. All right. One more. Or a couple more. What's that? Sunflower, bumblebee, a bee's eye. All right. Let's see. It is a bee. Good job. All right, next one. They get a little tougher. We got a cheeseburger. One vote for a cheeseburger. What else? An onion ring, a taco. 
All right, let's see. A pizza? Taco! Isaac gets three for three. <laughs> that's incredible. An onion ring, that sounds delicious. <laughs> All right. Uh, last one. A baseball. That's right. Let's see it. All right. So who who was like, other than Isaac, did anyone know all four of those? Anyone like nail those? All right. So kind of like those pictures, uh, when you look at a piece of a mosaic or even a picture like a 5,000-piece puzzle or something, and you just have one little piece of that puzzle, if you look at that one little piece, you have no idea what the larger picture is going to be. But if you take a step back and zoom out a little bit, and you look at the whole thing, then you're like, okay, now I am starting to get it. And following Jesus, I think, forces us to look at the whole picture. And I think for me, I have a problem stepping back and trusting that Jesus, trusting in Jesus that there is a bigger picture. I think that's an easy thing to do. Trusting that Jesus is in control of the bigger picture. And what I'm seeing right now is just a little piece. And as recently as a few weeks ago, I was feeling this exact same thing because a few days after Christmas, uh, I took Jet to Farm and Fleet for the first time. <laughs> there comes a time in every man's life where he has to take his son to Farm and Fleet for the first time. And uh, we saw Jared there, Jared Smith. He was buying jeans. <laughs> no judgment, Jared. That's a good place to buy jeans. <laughs> He was also buying a, some delicates, if you will, some underpants. I'm just kidding. He wasn't. <laughs> Farm Fleet is great to buy jeans, Jared, or 50 pounds of dog food, whatever you, whatever you want to buy there. Go buy it. No judgment. Uh, but anyway, I took Jet there for the first time. We were going to go buy uh, some toys with some leftover Christmas money. And everything was fine. And then on the way home, Jet started saying he didn't feel well. And uh, the next day, uh, that, that night, he clearly wasn't feeling good. So the next day, we took him to the doctor. And they did a few tests. And they ended up sending us straight to the hospital. And uh, before we knew it, our amazing little three-year-old Jet was diagnosed with RSV and bacterial pneumonia. And uh, uh, he spent six days in the hospital. And laying there, watching your son, miserable, unable, unable to breathe without the help of oxygen, That'll make you pray, and it'll make you pray hard. And after about five days of praying, and not just me praying, but many of you praying, and many of our friends, Lauren and I wrote a list of everyone who was praying, and it was just remarkable who was praying for our son. And we knew that, but he was still really sick. And I started questioning things, and I started getting confused, and I started getting frustrated and mad and just kind of upset with God and saying, God, why are you not answering these prayers of me and so many others? And I think in that moment, I was looking at just a piece of the mosaic that God was creating. I was not looking at the bigger picture. Um, I was way too zoomed on one little week rather than the scope of, of eternity. And uh, here's what I realized looking back. And this is kind of hard to say almost, but God will confuse you. There will be, be times in your life when you have no idea what God is doing. There will be times, uh, like when I look at that week alone, it doesn't make sense. It doesn't make sense why 
Jet had to suffer. It doesn't make sense why it took so long for those prayers to be answered, and it doesn't make sense why any of that had to happen. But when I step back and when I look at the bigger picture, I do see that God was actually in control. That week I learned that we serve a God that can look at something that I see as darkness and he sees it as light. And that is confusing. That's hard. But my darkness isn't darkness to God. And my confusion isn't confusion to God. And the things that surprise me don't surprise him. And the things that frustrate me don't frustrate him. Because he is in control. And the Bible tells us that over and over. Um, and Joshua 1.9, Joshua tells his people, Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be frightened. Do not be dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. And then Isaiah 47 says, I form light and create darkness. I make well-being and create calamity. I am the Lord who does all these things. God was with me every moment of that hospital stay, and God was with Jet every moment of that hospital stay. He was in complete control. And there's such freedom in knowing, and I wish I would have realized that then, but there's such freedom in knowing that I can take my life off my shoulders because God has it on his shoulders. And the burden of having my son in the hospital for six days was worse than I ever thought it would be. Like that, Those six days were harder than I ever imagined, probably harder than anything I had experienced. And it wasn't even that serious. I know there are greater burdens than that in this room. I know that many of you in this room would do anything for a six-day hospital stay and trade what you're going through for six days. And I know there's pain in this room, and I know there's sick family members in this room and broken relationships and depression and people that you love more than anything who are dying. Um, and those burdens are simply too much to bear on our own. And when we look at those struggles with a microscope, we can become overcome with doubt. <clears throat> but here's what I want you to remember, and I want you to, to try and trust. Your life is not out of control, but it is out of your control. It is in complete control. God totally has it and is completely in his control. It just seems like things are out of control to you. Um, but we serve a sovereign God. We serve a sovereign God who is in control. And in the book of Daniel, King Nebuchadnezzar is the king of ba Babylon. He's rich and he's powerful and he, he thinks he's control, in control of his kingdom. Uh, but then he has a dream of this huge tree that's cut down at the command of a heavenly messenger. Uh, and it ends up scaring him really bad. And so he asks Daniel to interpret the dream, and Daniel does. And Daniel says, all these things, all these bad things that happen in the dream are actually uh, to to prove to Nebuchadnezzar that God is the one in control and not Nebuchadnezzar. And so there's a couple times it says it too. In Daniel uh, 4.17, it says, So that everyone may know that the Most High rules over the kingdoms of the world. And then again, eight verses later, it says, Until you learn that the Most High rules over the kingdoms of the world and gives them to anyone he chooses. And then five or seven verses later, it says, until you learn that the Most High rules over the kingdoms of the world. God is clearly telling Nebuchadnezzar, I'm in control. I got this. God was in control then in Nebuchadnezzar's life. He was in control in Daniel's life. And right now he's in control of your life. 
but I feel like Nebuchadnezzar at times. I feel like I'm hesitant to hand over my rule. Because as king of Babylon, Nebuchadnezzar is rich and he's famous and he has basically all that he could possibly want. Yet in spite of that, in chapter 4, he ends up going mad because he isn't listening to God and he isn't trusting God. He's confused and he's frustrated and he's hopeless throughout much of the book of Daniel, actually. And so the same thing, I think, happens to us. Nebuchadnezzar, his hope was in his riches and his hope was in his power, and he was hoping that that would be what would satisfy him. When we ask creation to satisfy our heart, we end up confused. When we ask the present to give us what only eternity can give us, we end up hopeless. And I think a lot of times we try to create our own mosaic in our own life. We take our life and we take our house and we take our family and we take our possessions and we take our car and we take our um, Instagram and we take our bank account and our furniture and our house and everything that we have and we try to manipulate them and we try to piece them into this beautiful picture of our own life that looks the way we want it to look. And we think when that's finished that we'll be satisfied and we won't. <clears throat> we will never find eternal contentment in temporal things, in the things of this earth. We will never find horizontally what can only be found vertically. A house, a car, a fat bank account, all those things are little pieces of a mosaic that will never complete us without faith in Jesus. Creation was never meant to satisfy our hearts. Creation was meant to be one big arrow pointing to the one God who can satisfy our hearts. That's what creation was meant for. <clears throat> I feel like a lot of times we're walking through earth trying to figure out life. I know that's a lot of how I spend my day, just trying to figure out life. What am I here for? What am I doing? And I've been following Jesus for almost 17 years now, and I still get confused. Our faith in God can be pretty confusing at times. Um, there are times when I feel like I have no idea what I'm doing, and I almost feel like, I almost always feel like I'm doing it wrong. Um, but we will get confused trying to follow Jesus. <clears throat> you can understand all the principles of Scripture, and you can have a grasp on all of God's commands, and you can have all the theological knowledge, and you can know Latin and Greek and all that different stuff, but all that knowledge will only take you so far in your quest to figure out this life. Uh, there will still be moments in your life where you just don't know what's going on. Um, there will be times, like when Jet was in the hospital, when God, who is good, brings things into your life that just don't seem very good. Uh, and that's just the way it is. Uh, and it can get confusing. The reason we took Jet into the hospital in the first place is because he was clearly having a hard time breathing. He was working so hard just to take one breath. He was retracting at his ribs and by his collarbone, and uh, that was the hardest part, is seeing my little man struggle to breathe. His eyes were shut, and he was just exhausted from working so hard, doing something that comes so naturally, normally. <clears throat> and I was so grateful when they finally hooked him up to oxygen, because I thought as soon as they hooked him up to oxygen, he would be able to breathe normally again. But that wasn't the case. They hooked him up to oxygen, and he continued to struggle to breathe. He continued to struggle. 
In fact, the first three days, they kept having to turn up the oxygen because he was struggling so bad. And I think our walk with Jesus is the same. When we choose to follow Jesus, God breathes the breath of life into us. Chris talked about this last week. He talked about we are breathing the breath of God. And I thought when I started breathing the breath of God, when I started to follow Jesus, the struggle would end. And that just hasn't been the case. The struggle continues. The confusion, the doubts, the pain, the messiness of following Jesus still lasts. It doesn't end when they connect the oxygen. The struggle doesn't end when they connect the oxygen. And the struggle doesn't end when we start to follow Jesus. And when we try to intricately place each piece of our life together on our own, when we we try to create this perfect mosaic of life um, ourselves with all the pieces placed perfectly where we think they need to go, that's when we complicate things ourselves. That's when we do the complicating. Uh, Following Jesus seems confusing, and it can get confusing, but the reality is is it's actually pretty simple. That's what I want to tell you today. The things that Jesus tells us to do are actually really simple to understand. They're just really hard to do. Jesus says, give up your plans. I got new ones for you. Jesus says, give away your money. There are people who need it more. Jesus says, give up your control because I got this. Those are simple commands. We understand them. We just have a really, really hard time doing them. So the next time you get confused in your faith, I want you to go back to the words of Jesus in Mark 12. Mark 12 says, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, and with all your mind, and with all your strength, and love of your neighbor as yourself. There is no commandment greater than these. And when Jesus says this in Mark 12, he's talking to a group of Sadducees. And so these are religious leaders who are supposed to be the experts in the law, but they are trying to confuse Jesus, and they're trying to get him to stumble, and they're asking him all these kind of outlandish questions about situations that maybe would never happen, And they're trying to complicate it for him and make it as as tricky and complicated as they can. Um, Check this out. They say, Moses gave us a law that if a man dies, by the way, Moses gives us a law. That would be a Mosaic law, which is interesting in our... uh, Moses gave us a law that if a man dies, leaving a wife without children, his brother should marry the widow and have a child who will carry the brother's uh, carry on the brother's name. Well, suppose there are seven brothers. The one married and died without children, so the second brother married the widow, and he also died without children. Then the third married. This continued for all seven, and still no kids. Then the woman died. So tell us, whose wife will she be in the resurrection? Hmm, Jesus? Who, who would that? And so Jesus, I'm sure, is like, well, that's a little far-fetched, but let me just answer this anyway. And he says, your problem is that you don't know Scripture and you don't know the power of God. That's a simple answer. And then, so, he he gives him a simple answer back. He doesn't complicate it with all this confusing, outlandish uh, situation. He gives him a pretty simple answer. Your problem is you don't know Scripture and you don't know the power of God. And then one of the teachers of religious law that's there, it says he realized that Jesus had answered well. Okay? Okay. Um, So he asks Jesus a question that he really thinks is going to stump Jesus. And he says, of all the commandments, which is the most important? 
And Jesus basically says, let me make this as simple as possible for you. The most, command, the most important commandment is this. Listen, O Israel, the Lord our God is the one and only Lord. You must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, all your strength. The second is equally important. Love your neighbor as yourself. No other commandment is greater than these. Jesus breaks it down for us, and he makes it as simple as possible for the people he's talking to, first of all. These Sadducees would have recognized what he's saying because he's quoting a part of Deuteronomy called the Shema, and they would have quoted that daily probably. They would have said it before bed all the time, love the Lord, uh, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Uh, and so they knew that by heart. But then he also adds something that maybe they wouldn't have been as familiar with. He says, love your neighbor as yourself. And so as simply as he can put it, he says, love God, love people. That's your mosaic. It's two pieces. Love God, love people. Put it together. All these other things that we are trying to do, we get overwhelmed by the fact that we have all these dots that we have to connect and all the scriptures that we have to obey and um, memorize and all the pieces of this complicated puzzle that we're supposed to do to be a good Christian. And we need to step back and we need to realize, wait a minute, there's only two pieces. Love God, love people. That's it. Pretty simple. But like I was saying, it's easy to understand, but it's much harder to actually do that. Because even if you prayed every moment of your life, you wouldn't have prayed enough to earn the acceptance of God. If you gave every penny you ever earned, it wouldn't be enough. And if you spent every moment of your time serving, you would still fall short. It's actually an impossible standard to live by. But luckily... The grace of Jesus is sufficient, and the death of Jesus on the cross was sufficient. Jesus died because he knew that this was going to be the case. He knew we were going to fall short. So he made that simple too. Simply by surrendering your life to Jesus, your sins, your mess, your shortcomings, your past, all those things are gone because Jesus surrendered his life for yours. And there should be no confusion in that. Trusting in Jesus is enough. Giving your life to Jesus is enough. Beyond that, it's, it's too much. Jesus is only asking for your heart and your heart alone. And it's, it's interesting because Jesus is always talking to audiences like this, audiences that were packed with religious people, the Pharisees and the Sadducees, and they were the authority on religious truth at the time. They would have memorized scripture and they would have been looked to by all kinds of others for what faith in God looks like. What does it look like to be a, a good follower of God? But then in the Bible, when, when the Bible tells us to, to look at what it looks like to have a strong faith, instead of Jesus telling us to look to these religious experts for our example, he tells us to look at children. And he says to have a childlike faith. Faith like a child. In Matthew 18, one of his disciples asks a question about heaven. And Jesus calls over a child and puts him in the middle of all of them. And Jesus says, I'm telling you, once and for all, that unless you return to square one and start over like children, you're not even going to get a look at the kingdom, let alone get in. Whoever becomes simple and elemental again, like this child, will rank high in God's kingdom. 
So Jesus doesn't say, make sure you learn the law and make sure you read scripture every day like the Pharisees do. He says, have faith like a child. And once again, he makes it as simple as possible because Jesus knows that his disciples are overcomplicating it and he knows the Pharisees overcomplicate it and he knows that we are going to overcomplicate it. We all have a tendency to do it. We make faith way too complicated and confusing when we don't just love God and love people and use that as our mosaic, when we don't put those two things together. And I think part of having a childlike faith is being honest with God. Kids are honest. Kids are always probably a little too honest at times. They don't, they don't get the whole, like, does this make my butt look big honesty where uh, you're honest about that. When a kid has a question, he asks it. And when a kid has doubts, he talks about them. And we should do that with God. We need to talk to God about our questions. And we need to talk to God about our doubts. We need to ask Jesus about our confusion and our pain and our hopelessness. And so <clears throat> um, right now, we, we put the kids to bed around 7 Seven o'clock rolls around, Foster goes to bed. From seven until 7.30 or eight, Jet has some mommy and daddy alone time, which is nice for him. I think he loves that. And lately he's been wanting to play hide and seek. That's a new game that he's all about. Um, and I don't know if you ever played hide and seek with a three-year-old, but um, first of all, when he's counting, you have about three seconds to hide. Like you have enough time to maybe throw a blanket over your head or to jump behind a door or something. And even then, it still takes them a little while to find you. And I'm starting to think I'm pretty good at hide and seek. Um, the other day, I did get stuck in a cabinet, though, so that was rough. Um, but then when it's his turn to hide, he doesn't quite get that either. He will hide behind the bed, and the second I walk into the room, he's like, here I am. And I'm like, okay, let me explain hide and seek again one more time to you. Um, or he'll hide under a blanket in the middle of the floor and like his legs are hanging out and it's just a lump in the middle of the floor. And I think that's what it's like when we try hiding from God. God sees you. He knows you're there. He sees your doubt even when you try to hide it from him. He sees your confusion even when you try to hide it from him. He sees your pain and he sees your mess and he sees your questions and there's no point in hiding from God because he sees you and he sees all of you. You might as well just bring that stuff to him because he knows it's there. And the cool thing is, is that he wants it. He's asking us to bring it to him. This fall, I was reading through John, and I got to a part in John where Jesus feeds 5,000 uh, 5, people. And there were three words in that story, which I had heard that story plenty of times, and I've read through it plenty of times. But this time, something jumped out at me. Uh, there were three words that jumped out like never before. Bring them here. And I was like, huh, okay. I don't know if I was reading a different version than normal or what, but that just jumped out at me right off the page. And so, brief recap, the disciples are trying to feed over 5,000 people, 5,000 men plus women and children. Um, and they tell Jesus, we've only got these five loaves of bread and two fish. And Jesus says, bring them here. Bring them here. That's it. That's all he says. If they didn't bring those to Jesus, that miracle would have never happened. If you don't bring your stuff to Jesus, don't expect a miracle. 
if you don't bring your doubts to Jesus, don't expect those doubts to go away. If you don't expect, if you don't bring your junk or your mess or your confusion to Jesus, don't expect him to perform a miracle with it. Don't expect him to do anything with it. If you want to see a miracle, Jesus says, bring them here. Hand them over to Jesus. That's what he's asking. And so, just to summarize, faith is confusing and following Jesus is hard. But that confusion, oftentimes we can bring it on ourselves when we add to the gospel or when we try to piece all these complicated little mosaic pieces together in life to make life beautiful on our own. But life becomes beautiful, and it becomes life how it was meant to be lived when we simplify it and make it a two-piece puzzle. Love God and love people, and that's it. All the other stuff, bring it to Jesus because he wants it and he can handle it. Your doubt, your pain, your mess, all those things, Jesus says, bring them here. I want it. So in our house, about... 12 times a day, one of our boys is crying, um, and we're pretty used to it. They've been doing it since birth. <laughs> if I haven't told you the birth story yet, come talk to me. I got, I got a birth story for you. Um, so they, 12 times a day, they're crying. Um, usually the crying is quick. Jet takes a toy from Foster, and Foster gets upset, or Jet runs into Foster full speed because he thinks he's a demolition derby car or something like that. Um, And Foster's growing up to be a tough kid. He just turned one, and he's already a tough kid. And I'm starting to see that toughness in him. Uh, The other day, we play this game where he's on the couch, and we wrestle around on the couch all the time. But... um, He'll jump off the couch, and I will catch him. Or he'll be on the couch, and he rolls off, and I'll catch him. Uh, the other day, he was playing that game, and I wasn't. <laughs> and so, smack, right on the floor, and I expect to get tears. And it was, a, it was a hard belly flop off the couch onto the floor. Um, Foster has complete faith in me. He has total faith that when he jumps off that couch, I'm going to catch him. And I want us to put our faith in the Father like Foster has put his faith in his Father. That when we jump, he's going to catch us. When we put our faith in the Father, he's going to be there. When Peter is walking on water and starts to sink, it isn't because Jesus isn't right there. It's because he took his eyes off Jesus. But as soon as he calls out, Lord, save me, Jesus reaches down and saves him. And that's true for us. Jesus is not leaving us. He's right there, but sometimes we take our eyes off him. And that's when the doubts, and that's when the confusion, and that's when the sinking can set in. So let's keep our eyes on Jesus, trusting that he is always there for us. Let's experience the freedom that Jesus has for us simply by placing our faith in him. Don't run from him. Don't hide from him. Run to him. Give him your fear. Give him your doubts. Give him the confusion, and just jump off into the Father's arms. Let me pray. God, thank you for the fact that we know we can trust you. We know that when things get confusing, when doubts come at us, 
we can give them to you and you want them and you will take them. And no matter what, God, you will be there for us to catch us. And even when life gets hard and even when kids are in the hospital or people are uh, sick or family is dying or divorce is happening, you're still there. You're still right there. And so, God, remember the first, help us remember the first piece of the mosaic, to love God. And then out of that, Lord, help us to remember the second, love the people around us. We need you for that, God. We need you. We cannot do it on our own. We're desperate for you to help us with that. In the strong name of Jesus, amen.